0: Upamada and its programs are supported by your generosity, and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at upamada.org. Thank you. In about 10 days, we'll begin our annual year-long precepts program. So once a year, we offer uh, an immersive practice in the precepts, which are the Buddhists' ethical conduct. Um, and it's a fundamental part of our um, study and practice here at Upamada. So the, the uh, program meets for once a month, uh, for 12 months. And at the end, there's an opportunity, if you so wish, to um, fully receive the precepts in a ceremonial fashion at the precept ceremony. So, kind of in honor of the upcoming beginning of the precepts program, that's what I'd like to talk to you about today for our Dharma talk. So the Buddha Dharma has three aspects traditionally. Mm-hmm. dana or giving, sila, or precepts, ethical conduct, and bhavana, cultivation or meditation practice. Um, The the Theravadan teacher, Ajahn Chah, who's famous for being Jack Cornfield's teacher, uh, once remarked um, remarked about the Buddha Dharma having these three aspects, Um, but noted that uh, when Westerners come to practice, Often they are interested in giving or, dana, that is, or in sila, the precepts. They just seem to be interested in meditation. All right, that seems to be the meat of it, at least in our Western culture. We we think, okay, I want to do this real practice. um, Giving and precept study doesn't seem like the real practice. It seems like the window dressing. But that's not traditionally how it's been. And I'm I'm using this text from Rev. Anderson, Being Upright. This is not the book that we will use in the, in the precepts program, but it's another one on um, the Bodhisattva precepts. And he talks about his time with Suzuki Roshi. So Rev. Anderson has Dharma transmission in Suzuki Roshi's lineage and practiced with him going back into the, the 60s at San Francisco Zen Center. He was also the abbot of the city center and has held kind of a lot of leadership roles in that tradition. And Reb talks a lot. Uh, He recounts the story of how he came to know Suzuki Roshi and how he worked with him um, as his teacher. And it involves just a lot of him spending time with him. Very little formal teaching given out to him, more observing how he acted and what he did. And one of the things that that Red remarks about is that when Suzuki Roshi was diagnosed with his, what would be a fatal illness, cancer, um, he continued his practice, he continued his teaching. And Red noted that he seemed to pour himself into his teaching um, with even more vigor, perhaps seeming to know that his time was limited and he needed to get out what he wanted to. What Red noted that was most interesting, though, is what Suzuki Roshi taught, what he began to speak about more often, and that was the Buddhist precepts, sila. When it came down to what was important and what he had to say, he began talking more and more about the precepts. Similarly, uh, when Rev received the Dharma transmission in the early 80s, that was after 16 years of practice. He received Dharma transmission, which includes precepts transmission in a formal ceremony. In Dharma transmission, he was given a robe, a bowl, and ceremonial objects, which is traditional, and receives the teachings that illuminate the practice of enlightenment. And in that process, he becomes an ancestor of the tradition. and comes to represent the Buddha's body. In that ceremony, in precepts transmission, he's entrusted to not only practice with, but to protect the precepts. And that's how the lineage continues. Here I'll read from Reb's words for a moment. In the process of studying for this ceremony, I had my first glimpse of the deeper significance of the Bodhisattva precepts. I read in a document called the Yaku, the blood vein, Quote, it was revealed and affirmed to the teacher Myozan that the precept vein of the Bodhisattva is the single great condition of the Zen gate. Receiving the precepts of the Bodhisattva is the single unique cause and condition of entering into Zen. I was surprised. This had not been emphasized during my 16 years of practice. So the Ketchuminyaku is an official document that's um, hand-lettered from one teacher to the next as part of the Dharma Transmission, which shows the family lineage, shows kind of the, the family tree of passing warm hand to warm hand. called the blood vein. And here's the quote again. It was revealed and affirmed to the teacher, Myozen, that the the precept vein of the Bodhisattva is the single great condition of the Zen gate. That vein, that transmission, what he's saying, what is passed along is ethical conduct. That's what's actually transmitted, is a way of being. The single great condition of the Zen gate. So the precepts, we say, are a gift we receive. They're not something that we do, they're not something that we're scolded to not do. But it's a gift passed down, warm hand to warm hand. It's been said something to the effect of, you know, the precepts or ethical Buddhist conduct is the Buddha. That's what a Buddha is. Someone who acts that way. There's a quote from Shakyamuni Buddha. What good is there in revering me and my teaching if you are all the while violating the precepts. The 16 great Bodhisattva precepts are the gate to authentic practice. They offer a way to bring the stillness and silence of sitting into active expression in everyday affairs. A way for compassion to enter all all aspects of our lives. They are the life vein upright sitting. These precepts are intended for those who dedicate their lives to the liberation of all beings. Isn't that interesting? That the precepts are a way to bring the stillness and silence of sitting into active expression in everyday affairs. We always talk about um, We're not here to to get good at meditating. Um, What good does that do anyone? I don't know. What good would it be to to be a good meditator? What do you do with that? Uh, Party tricks? (laughs) Right, but we're here in the Mahayana tradition, we're here um, with the intent to liberate all beings, right? With the intent to find liberation, freedom from suffering for ourselves and others. So how do you take that insight, that meditative practice out into the world? By how you conduct yourself when you're in the world. So sila, ethical conduct, that's what we bring. That is the active expression in everyday affairs in a way for compassion to enter all aspects of our lives. So receiving the precepts is something we take very seriously in our traditions. Um, Normally, a student would practice for several years, six months to maybe two or three years, before they would begin the process of receiving the precepts. Normally, this is done with permission from the teacher. It's something that's carefully considered. It's asked for by the student and coordinated by the teacher when the student's ready. So in that way, it's the way that Buddhist practitioners begin. This is how we begin, with a framework, an ethical framework, that helps scaffold us and support our our awakening, our opening. Um, The small mind is a tricky little thing. We can rationalize all kinds of things. But having an ethical scaffolding or framework to keep us safe to keep us from going astray and inflicting poor conduct on the world as we're opening so we begin with the precepts during this uh, precept study in time it's traditional for those to, uh, to begin sewing those were those two practices were tied together. So sewing a rakasu, which is the small you know, symbolic robe that represents the, uh, the ordained Buddhist monks, the robe that they received when they are ordained. The sewing practice this to sew the rakasu goes hand in hand. If you're literally clothing yourself with Buddhist ethical behavior, and then carrying it with you. I was thinking earlier today that, you know, Joel and Laurie and I were all here, and we all have these wonderful green rakasus that were sewn, hand-stitched by the community, by the Sangha for us. On the back, they have our Buddhist names and the chop or stamp from our teachers. And as entrusted teachers, we, we travel with them, right? They go with us where we go, when we go to practice. I was thinking this morning that if we form a band, we should be the traveling green Rockers <laughs> instead of um, traveling Willberries. <laughs> so receiving the precepts, receiving these gifts, is an initiation. And in the ceremony, in the precept ceremony, in that initiation, it says, in faith that we are Buddha, we enter Buddha's way. So once again, we'll begin the program, a year-long precepts program, that allows practitioners to immerse immerse themselves in the study of the precepts for this year. We use a a nice book by Diane Rosetto called Waking Up to What You Do, which serves as a framework for the year-long exploration and learning how we bump up against these precepts. and what we can learn from them. Red talks in here about how we actually work with the precepts, how do we perceive them? And for that, it's necessary to understand the, uh, what's called the two truths of the middle way, or Majamika. And those two truths are conventional wisdom, or conventional truth, and ultimate truth. From Reb. Conventional truth refers to our everyday common sense understanding of the existence of things. In this context, the precepts are primarily concerned with doing and not doing, and with good and bad. Ultimate truth is not circumscribed by human thought or judgment with all its fallibility. Thus, the ultimate meaning of the precepts transcends ordinary reality and is beyond action or non-action understanding the conventional meaning of the bodhisattva precepts is absolutely necessary but is not sufficient for realizing the ultimate goal of the bodhisattva as nagarjuna, how do you pronounce his name? nagarjuna. As nagarjuna says without a foundation in conventional truth the significance of the ultimate cannot be taught Without understanding the significance of the ultimate, liberation is not achieved. With a thorough understanding of the literal and conventional import of these great precepts as our point of departure, we must step forth and enter the realm of their ultimate meaning. When we begin practicing the precepts, we're concerned with our actions as individuals. For example, you know, one of the precepts is not to lie, or not to steal, or framed in a positive light, as Diane Rosetto does, and the way we, we study them is to take up the way of speaking truthfully. And so that's the conventional truth. When we begin practicing the precepts, we're concerned with our actions as individuals. Am I speaking truthfully? We take meticulous care in all of our dealings not to lie, not to take anything that is not rightfully intended for us and not to harm others. We consider all the circumstances surrounding our behavior and In consultation with others, make careful moral judgments. Through such deliberations, we make our best personal effort to fulfill the literal meaning of the precepts. We live in the world of right and wrong, good and evil, the conventional world. And that's how we begin. That's the scaffolding that can help us find this freedom and liberation. So, all are invited to participate, to study the precepts with us for this year. Those who have taken the class before are invited and welcome to return. Appamata always had the rule policy there we go apamata <laughs> always had the policy that um before we started the the, the donna model or gener- generosity model there was a, a significant charge to do the year-long precepts program but we always had the policy that anyone who had started it or completed it could come back every year and people people often did go through the program two times or three times because we felt it's that important, or they felt it was that important. No one dragged them make them come back. Now with the generosity model, there's no charge specifically for the program. But again, we emphasize that all those who have participated in the past are welcome. Come back, explore it again with us, and see how it's changed. You you mentioned um, that it's Starting in July, could you give the date and what days it will be occurring on? Is that your repeating pattern? Yes, um, it starts in nine days. It starts in June 22nd. June, tw- June 22nd. It'll meet on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 Austin time and we'll meet generally i think that's the third tuesday of the month so as best we can we're sticking to that pattern the third tuesday of every month and uh, it will be offered both online and in person once we reopen the zendo and we will continue the online offering throughout the year for those who are unable to make it here in person and uh a registration announcement uh, went out, I think, a week ago, and you can find it in the weekly agenda as well. Are these recorded? To... This... Yeah, yes, they've always been recorded in the past, so I assume we would continue that tradition. Yeah, we need to because there may be people who um, have to miss a class on occasion, so they will be recorded, so you can catch up. And with that, we have a few minutes. I invite your questions or comments or reflections. So Nancy, I think Nancy is doing the job of being monitor for us. Thank you very much. Would you mind un- unmuting people and seeing if anyone has any questions? Yes. Yes, please raise your hand and they will um, unmute you. Hi, Joan. We can't hear you yet, so let's see. Uh, hi. Thank you for all of you, your uh, information. I had told you I was not going to do the class, that I just read it on my own. But I'm reconsidering that. Well, we'd love to have you, as always. Thank you very much, just to let you know, I'm really thinking about it. All right, if there's nothing else, then we'll wrap up our program. Thank you.